Hi, you're listening to the sermon recording podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. All right, let's get started. Hey, so if I haven't met you before, my name is Philip. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken Church. Uh, I get the unique privilege of serving um, as both the teaching pastor and the executive pastor of the church uh, alongside of four other amazing people that form a co-leadership team. Uh, we have been walking through this series the last, this is our sixth week, because kind of sandwiched in the middle of it was our amazing soccer camp week uh, as well. So for all of us, it's been uh, about six weeks of walking through this. How many of you guys ever picked up one of these copies of the James devotional and went through this? Anybody go through this? All right, this is a time to raise hands if possible. Yeah, perfect. There's also an electronic copy that maybe some of you guys got. Wow, all right, maybe we shouldn't have done the show of hands thing. Now I feel terrible. Thank you, appreciate that. All right, if you want one, there's like three in the back, and uh, so maybe grab that on the way out if you would like to, but it's a 40-day devotional. It's not too late to go through that. Uh, I know some of you guys did go through that. Uh, as... Um, we talked about in the series, there's so many things in each chapter that really is impossible for us to spend 30 minutes uh, a week kind of just unpacking it all, right? So uh, this was a simple uh, way of just trying to give you a daily activity to kind of walk through the series together. So um, again, it's not uh, there to solve all the questions, but it's there to walk through it with you. Um, so definitely pick up one of those on the way out if you did not get one of those. Um, a couple things that I've thought about in this series that for me has been really powerful. I shared early on in the series that uh, for me, James is one of my favorite letters in Scripture, uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And the biggest reason why is because he just doesn't hold punches. Like whether you've been a believer for five minutes, maybe you, maybe you still aren't actually even a believer and you're reading through this with us, or maybe you've been a believer for like 80 years of your life. Like James will read your mail and uncover things in your life in the process that will show you some things you have to work on. And I love that about the, just the authenticity of this letter because in this letter, there's so much that can really cause not only conviction and challenge, but also an invitation to not living a religious lifestyle, but a way of really living on mission with people around you in community and walking that out. And I think it's one of the most practical examples that we see in Scripture. There's amazing, obviously, content and material woven all throughout Scripture, but James in particular really just doesn't hold any punches, and I really appreciate that about this letter um, that we've kind of been unpacking together. So just if you haven't been with us uh, for the whole series or you've kind of been in and out for whatever reason, I just want to walk through a few kind of highlights in this book that for me really jumped out, so maybe for you as well. So we're going to look through these together. Uh, James talks about what it means to uh, live to serve others, not to be served. So he kind of explains that, hey, for all of you in the room who are consumers of anything— this is an upside-down way of doing things. So if you call yourself a Christ follower, your role here is to serve others, not to live to be served. It goes against our human nature just by default. Consider the trials that you walk through actually something to, to, that would generate joy in your life in the process, right? Something else that the world does not do well, right? When we have trials and things in our life, our natural tendency is to complain, right? 
Uh, and instead, James says, hey, actually consider it joy and find ways in that process to point back to the fact that God is still sovereign and king in your life. He says, hey, don't just sit around and like, you know, quote unquote, go to church. Uh, don't just listen to things. Don't just listen to a podcast or even just read the Bible, but actually do what it says, right? There's an act of obedience and an act of action that we're all called to be a part of. So this idea, and he comes back to this numerous times throughout the letter, but there's this kind of thesis statement tucked away in the end of chapter one, which kind of says to us, hey, don't, don't just read this letter, right? If that's all you do, then you're going to miss everything that God really has in store for you. Uh, he, he talks about watching your mouth, right? Like just make sure you understand that this muscle in your, in your mouth is one of the most powerful things that we have called our tongue. And if you're not careful with it in that process, we can only bring death and disaster situations, but we also can miss opportunities of how God wants to use us in moments to speak life into people. And so I challenge you guys, and, and I've been uh, moderately good at this. I'm just not good at being on social media to begin with, which maybe that's a blessing in itself, but I've tried my best to try and live out this hashtag we've been trying to do together called My Words Matter for 30 Days. So I'm still in it. I'm still doing the best I can. Sometimes I like double or triple up for a day because I'm like behind. That's my own like personal conviction in the process, but uh, it's just a way of trying to, to bring life into the world that we're in right now. Uh, pursuing wisdom, right? Like there's, there's a lot of honor in not just knowing content, but understanding and unpacking what does it mean to actually live wisely. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to put that action into place and walk it out in a way that we would call wisdom. Uh, what does it mean to really understand what godliness looks like? Uh, if you were here last week, Jeff kind of unpacked that a little bit for us versus, you know, what does it mean to live in the world and, and really not from this understanding of being, uh, you know, separated and removed from the world, but understanding what is God's desire for us to really honor the community that we're in and also to live in the world around us as well. So there is so much amazing content here, but if I had to summarize Everything in this book, including where we're going tonight, into one simple phrase, I would do it this way. James is showing us a way towards progress, not perfection. James is trying to help us understand that the role that you have and that I have in the body of Christ, the Big C Church, is to continue to move forward and take steps of progress, not to get it all right. And some of us can be very defeated at times because we focus on this idea of perfection. And we all know that it's obviously woven throughout so many things, especially within our American culture. But especially if you grow up in the church as well, there's this idea of like getting it all right and getting an A plus on the test, right? And James is saying, hey, this is not about arriving. It's about pursuit. It's about progress, not perfection. So if you want to figure out what true religion looks like, he says, hey, learn to love the orphans and the widows. Learn to not just hear a good message, but learn how to apply it in your life. Don't just, you know, go around and just fit in with the crowd. Learn to use your tongue as a weapon of bringing life with people, right? There's all these things that are woven throughout that are about progress, not perfection. And this is so life-giving for me because as I read through this letter, right, I, and maybe you, I have felt a lot of conviction. Like, man, I need to do that better. I need to do that better. And that too. All right, slow down the roll like, a little bit, James. Like, let me just like have a, I love you for a few minutes. Like, can we have like a feel good chapter in here? And he's just like, nope, boom, 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 right? And it's not even every chapter, right? It's every like four verses. There's a new like punch. 
And I'm like, slow down, bro. Like, just give me a second to like come up for air, right? And so it's good for us to step back and say, okay, what is God trying to speak through this? Because the heart of, 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 of our God is to love us as we journey through transformation in the process. The goal is not just to simply arrive at perfection. The goal of the gospel is to transform us along the way. And as we're transformed, we become walking billboards of the gospel to everyone that we see and come in contact with. That is the hope that James is trying to bring us along too. So in the process of all of this, there's also several categories tonight we could have taken James chapter 5. But I want us to sit in kind of the middle of the chapter here and talk about this idea of really um, community and prayer and a few other things I think will hopefully be a, a powerful uh, recap, but also an invitation as James kind of lands the plane with us. So if you have a Bible or if you want to use your Bible app, you can. We're going to have it up here on the screen as well. We're in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18. We're just going to read through this kind of slowly together. Um, it's, if you've maybe grown up in a church community, there may be parts of this passage you've heard before. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to kind of go with me here because I think maybe we've heard some things outside of context. So we're going to kind of walk through this together and kind of hopefully unlearn some unhealthy things and relearn some healthy things. Okay? All right, let's go. James chapter 5, 13 through 18. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human just as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So there's a couple of things that happened in this passage, okay? We're going to kind of unpack it, but if I just, and I'm just going to give you a quick spoiler. If you're a note taker, this is helpful for you. Um, there's two main things in here that I want us to focus on tonight from this passage. The first one here is just that there's a central focus of prayer and praise in the life of us as believers. So if you call yourself a Christ follower tonight, there's a central piece of our lives that should revolve around and centralize around prayer and praise. And we're going to kind of, again, unpack that together. The other one, the second one, is that there's an ongoing discipline of confession and repentance. There's an ongoing discipline of confession and repentance for us. And so if I try to take these, these uh, five verses or so that we're reading tonight and kind of boil it down, those are two things that for me I really felt like we all, as, as people in the room, need to kind of revisit tonight. And I think there's a... There's an honest conversation, there's a self-assessment that needs to happen for each of us as we read through texts like this, or even the book of James in general, because if you're like me, and I'll, this is my honest confession moment, if you're like me, um, there's this moment where you've heard it all before, and you've become numb to the things that are being said, right? Like, I, I grew up attending a church gathering every weekend. Like, I have heard the Easter story literally for 31 years, and I become numb to it, 
right? Like, if we're being honest, the Christmas story and the Easter story have lost its teeth in my life. And it's not because I don't think they're powerful stories. They're, they should be life-changing stories, right? But for me, I've heard it so many times that it's lost its grit in my life. And so every year, I have to make it a conscious practice of mine to kind of refocus and reset. And as I enter into those holidays, for me, I've got to remind myself, okay, why am I here? What's going on? And really allow God to kind of soften my heart in the process a little bit. Tonight, we're talking about some very Christianese words, prayer and praise, confession and repentance. There are these words that are used within church culture that you may have become numb to in the process. I have become numb to at times. But the reality is that for each of us in this room, I want us just to kind of pause and do a self-assessment because I think if we're honest, part of what James is trying really, really hard to do is to reset us as people to not just simply go through the motions, right? But to understand there's something at the root, the core of it all. And so just to kind of give us maybe a helpful scripture passage to kind of outline what I want to do the rest of the evening together, I want us to read Colossians 3, verse 4. And you can just leave this up there for a minute, Nicole, if you don't mind. It says, and, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. If you're a note taker or if you're following along, if there's a phrase I want you to grab from this verse and really wrestle with tonight, it's just after that first comma, okay? It says, who is your life? The trap that I fall into as a pastor, man, father, Christ follower, is I spend a lot of my time doing Christianity and not making Christ my life. There is an invaluable distinction that we have to every day cognitively come back to in this process. Because if we allow ourselves to become numb, we begin to become complacent, we begin to go on autopilot as people, and we begin to do Christianity and we begin to do religion so quote-unquote well that we lose this idea of what does it mean for Christ who is your life to be the center of everything you say, do, and think. We use this concept a lot within Awakened Church, this idea of our head, what we think, our heart, what we feel, and our hands, what we do. For a lot of us, Christ is relevant in probably one of those three categories regularly. Right? If we're honest, when we say Christ, who is your life, a lot of us are very comfortable with Christ who is the way I think, right? I think a lot about Christianity. I think a lot about who Jesus is. I think a lot about having good morals and good values. I think a lot about these things. I think uh, by comprehending sermons, there's a knowledge that I have of who Jesus is, right? There's this, I am okay with Christ in this part of my life. I kind of got that part figured out, right? But the moment that we were to challenge you around like, okay, I know I need to have Sabbath in my life, but we look at your life and there's no rhythms at all of rest and Sabbath, it tells me, just as an outsider looking in, that you know about rest, but your heart and your hands don't. So as you read Colossians, can you leave it up there for me, Nicole? So read, read Colossians 3, verse 4, 
And when Christ, who is your life, when that happens, it grabs all parts of who you are. It's an all-encompassing part here. So much of American westernized Christianity breaks down because it's a la carte. I like Christ in this part of my life. I like Christ in this part. I'll read this book because it speaks to this thing that I like. We kind of piece together the parts that we like, and all of a sudden, we have this like pretty well-knit, like cool version of Christianity that we are really, really cool with, right? We're totally fine with. Christ is a natural uh, disruptor of your life, right? If Christ, who is your life, goes into your life, he starts opening up closets, turning over furniture. The gospel is disruptive to your life. It's designed to be that way, not because Jesus hates you, right? It's because he loves you enough to see that progress towards perfection that James talks about. So as you read through the concepts like tonight, right, or if you read through the whole book of James, there is this powerful message that's kind of woven throughout it that I think Paul writes about in the book of Colossians, that Christ, who is your life, it's so easy to do these things It's so much harder to understand that Christ is trying to transform who we are. So you can read through the do's of tonight's passage, right? If you're happy, sing some songs. If you're sick, ask for prayer. It's easy to, like, create a checklist. We love those, right? Because it's easy. I can check the box that I did those things. Hey, big man, what's going on? How are you? You all right? You got it? What you want, man? He had a prophetic word that we're going to say for another day. So, But in this process, right, if we're honest, there's something that if all of us were to have that self-assessment, there's a disconnect somewhere, right? Head, heart, hand, around these things. It's why we have these pathways, these 12 pathways that we have. They're not about this, like, do-it-all list. It's about all of us journeying together, and we've put pieces together that complement each other well so that we can continue on the pursuit of progress, right? So tonight, as we kind of go back through, I want to read back through the passage, but I want you to hear it through the lens of Colossians 3, 4, with Christ who is your life. I want you to read this passage again from James 5, 13 through 18, at least the first section here. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you. This idea of us committing our lives to Jesus and making sure that we are in a relationship with him is so important. I've heard my whole life about this idea of a relationship with Jesus, right? But for so many of us, if we're truly honest, and again, this is just my, maybe it's just me, right? But I'll just tell you where I'm at, right? It's so easy for me to drift into the intellectual, doctrinal, what I believe part of Christianity that I miss out on so many experiential, relational things that Christ wants for me. So when we read this passage in James, he's saying, hey, when you're going through hardships, you got to start praying, man. How's your prayer life? Pretty crappy. Yeah, well, Let's figure that out together. Press into that part of your life. Hey, if things are going great, are you just coasting because all of a sudden you think you don't need God because it's going well? Hey, stop for a minute. Praise God because he is alive and active in that amazing moment. And when Christ, who is your life, finds its way into your hardships, 
into your moments of celebration, into your moments of sickness. Something powerful changes for us as, as believers, as people. And so for, for me, I've had to learn this pathway of prayer, which I want to kind of lay out a couple steps for you tonight as we kind of start to land the plane a little bit. The pathway of prayer, I think, is a very practical thing, but it's also a very daunting thing. I've sat in a room with people both at Awaken and obviously at other places as well, and you ask someone like, hey, who wants to close us in prayer, right? You're at a meeting or something, and you want to ask that question like the crickets, right? Like nobody wants to do it, right? And if you're honest, right, if you peel back what's going on in that room, people just don't know how to pray. Like they, don't, they don't know what to say. Shame on us for just expecting people to figure it out, right? So it's okay. I don't have all the answers. I'm just going to give you some helpful tips. But before I do that, how many of you guys ever seen the movie Inception, right? It's got to be one of my top five movies for me personally. So don't judge me, but I think it's an amazing movie. And I love movies like Inception because there's this moment where like, right? Like it all kind of comes together. And if you all saw it coming, just leave me alone because I'm, you know, not as smart as you guys. But there's this moment in the movie, right, at the very end. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it tonight. It's amazing. It's you know, mind-blowing. So go watch tonight. But there's this moment in the movie where all of a sudden it just clicks. I love those kind of movies because it keeps me engaged the whole time and all of a sudden it just makes sense. That's exactly for me as I read through Colossians 3, 4 in the context of everything we've been going through with James. That's for me what clicked. And Christ, who is my life, wants me to serve others. Watch what I say. Seek wisdom. Pursue godliness, not worldliness. Learn to live out what it means to have true religion in my life. There was this moment where all of a sudden it's like, oh, I viewed so much of this book as this thing I'm supposed to do, and he won't let off because James just keeps coming at me with something I'm supposed to get done as a Christian. And all of a sudden it's like, man, it's not about what I do. It's about Christ who is in every part of my life. It begins to manifest itself into my relationships, my parenting, how I work, my, so my work ethic, my neighborhood living, my coworkers. All of a sudden, when I read James, it's this overflowing of what God is already doing instead of adding things to the puzzle that I hadn't quite figured out. Do you see the mind shift here? That is what James is trying to do this entire letter. And I don't think I've ever viewed it from that context before. Prayer is the same thing. For so many of us, I'm going to give you some practical steps, but for so many of us, prayer has become this duty or this thing that we do because someone told you you're supposed to. It's in Scripture, right? Our Father, blah, 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 right? So, like, there's this prayer, and it has this sense of, like, almost obligation or this sense of duty to it. And don't get me wrong, there should be an act of obedience tied to how we should pray. But developing a healthy prayer life is less about this task that you do and an overflowing of this communion with who Jesus is. So again, another like self-assessment question for you tonight. If, if Jesus is a person on earth, right, is he an acquaintance that you, like, you catch up with every now and then when things hit the fan? Is he a best friend that you talk to about everything 
where are you on the spectrum? Because if prayer is just simply this intellectual concept that you know that you're supposed to do, and it's this thing that you like have this duty to, out to, uh, to, to perform in some way in, you're missing the relationship piece, the communion with Christ piece that is beautiful when it comes to our prayer life. And tonight, maybe, maybe for a lot of us in the room, if we were just to be honest, maybe you're not experiencing that communion with Christ. And I think this prayer life piece may be the key that starts that process for you. It's not the only thing, right? But it may be the thing that unlocks certain things for you. So I have a couple of practical steps that I just want to give you tonight, okay? The first one is that your prayer has to be planned. The best analogy I can give you is that whether you're married, dating, single, doesn't matter, right? Simple concept. Friend, doesn't matter. The people that you want to spend your time with, right, you plan it, right? If I want to hang out with you, we put something on the calendar, right? It doesn't mean that, like, I never text you and talk to you in between. But in the process, there's just something real about us actually setting time and planning time to do the thing that we said we're going to do. So prayer is both organic by nature of like, and I'll use the example of like a text message. Hey, so-and-so, how's your week been going? Great, cool. No problem. Hope you're doing well. Text message, right? On the way to work, I'm, I'm praying. Hey, God, I'm wrestling through this thing. Or, hey, this friend just told me this news. I'm having a hard time. I don't know what to do with this, right? That, that's going to happen organically. But if you, you and I both know that if you don't put it on your calendar, if you don't set time in your life, your prayer life will never take off. So I'm going to invite you as a practical step, if you're walking in the pathway of prayer, I want to invite you to set time this week, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, to pray. Right? And if you don't know what to pray, just start. Right? Just start talking to God. Recap on where you are. We're going to get some other practical steps here in a second. But I want to encourage you to literally put on your calendar a time to pray. If you have kids, after bedtime, Right? Because that's point number two here is avoid distractions, right? Put the phone away. Stop sharing your scripture on Instagram for a minute. Like, I don't, it's not about that. I just want you to pray for a second, okay? Like, I want you to turn off the distractions. Turn off notifications for like 10 minutes. It's life-giving. Trust me. It's a whole other sermon. But plan your time of prayer and just turn the off button on everything else, Right? I'm a dad, I bounce two jobs, I have a lot of stuff in my life, but I have to take time that's not only planned, but that also I can avoid distractions. So in order to have an active prayer life, set a time, avoid distractions. Number three, pray with others. Not always, but maybe once a month, you actually grab a friend and say, can we just pray for like 30 minutes? If you tonight in this room, if you fall into the camp of, I don't know how to pray, and I'm scared I'm going to get it wrong, the best thing I can ask you to do is to grab someone and start praying. I am more fervent in my prayer life. I am more, it, my prayer life is more contagious when I am praying with other people. And so if you don't know how to pray, if you're not sure what to pray, grab someone and say, look, just give me some grace to figure this out, but can we start praying together? Something really powerful happens when we choose to pray with each other. And again, this is something I schedule in my life. Find a way to pray with other people. Right? We read it tonight, right? Confess our sins 
we are healed when we pray in community with each other. If you're in a missional community, grab someone that you do life with. You should be praying with these people, not just before a meal, like genuinely praying with these people. Number four, have a prayer list. I don't care what it looks like for you, right? I mean, I'm a technology guy. I love technology, but I've had to learn that to write this stuff down. For me, there's something spiritually helpful for me to write down a prayer list. So I have one. And there are times where God challenges that to go a step further, and I have sticky notes. They're my, my prayer sticky notes. And I stick them on my mirror, so like when I get out of the shower in the morning, they're right there, and I put the same sticky note in my dashboard in my car. And that person in my life is someone that finds their way in everything that I do, right? I'm on the way to work. I'm on the way to this thing with Emmy. I'm doing all this stuff. They are in my life constantly as, a, as an act of prayer. Figure out for you what works, but find a way to make prayer and a prayer list a regular part of your active prayer life. The last one here is to pray scripture, right? If you don't know what to pray, God says it a lot of times for us pretty well. Whether it's prayer through praise, prayer through confession, or prayer through a thankful heart. If you want to have an active prayer life, it's just not going to happen overnight, right? But when Christ, who is your life, finds his way into your prayer life, I'll bet you whatever you want to bet you that God will show up in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your marriage, in your families. Because prayer is not a duty that we simply obey. It unlocks this beautiful conversation and this beautiful reminder that we are in communion with the creator of the universe. And if we stop praying, we miss that communion. If you want to see the gospel wreck your life, start having an active prayer life. Seriously. If you want to see what God can do in a situation where you have lost hope, start praying about it. If you want to see what God can do when you've lost all hope, start praying about it. Grab someone and start praying. Put it in front of you constantly. Pray scripture over it. Plan a time to pray for it. Stop letting distractions get in the way of your prayer life. Guys, these aren't rocket science concepts, but they're all things that invite us back to this beautiful communion that we are called to have with Christ. Jesus isn't interested in your intellect. He's interested in a relationship. And James, for me, has unlocked that in this process. Probably in a new way that I've never seen before. And I hope tonight that's refreshing for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I am so thankful that you don't just beat me over the head constantly with challenges, with conviction, but that you unlock things like tonight, that you do things to show me your heart for me, that you bring me back to your heart, you wrap your arms around me, you show me the Father's love, you show me the transformative power of the gospel through Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a comforter and a convictor. 
that you don't leave me where I am, but that you show me a way forward through progress. Holy Spirit, I am giving you permission to wreck my life tonight. Through the pathway of prayer, would you invite me back to a discipline, to a way that I see the universe through your eyes, that I hear things through your ears, that I feel for the things that you feel for because I've chosen to be active in my prayer life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your grace to love us enough to give us truth. Amen.